On this episode of Missing the Point, we're joined once again by the lead beat writer of the New England Patriots for the Boston Herald, Karen Garigian, to help us preview the New England Patriots 2021 season. We'll take a look at the quarterback battle between Cam Newton and rookie Mac Jones, Nikhil Harry's impressive camp showing after requesting a trade, the improved Patriots defense, and where we think the Patriots will be come the end of the season. This is Missing the Point, episode 78, but it's all relative. Welcome to Missing the Point. I'm Joe Malkin, joined by Mike Marcangelo, and back for her second appearance on the show. Link to the first episode that she was on in the show notes. The Boston Herald's Patriots B writer since 2007, Karen Gregan. Karen has covered all the Boston sports teams, two Winter Olympics, men's and women's, professional golf, tennis, and soccer. Karen, thank you once again for coming on the show and talking to us. You know, when we're recording this, it's the day before the Patriots' first preseason game against the Washington football team, a name that has caught on with everyone. And I guess we'll start off with the the first question. How's everything in Foxborough? Well, moving right along. Last year, with the pandemic and everything, there, there were no preseason games. There were barely practices to watch and or players to talk to. That was the at least in person. So a lot of things have changed. And from that perspective, for the better and for the good, and hopefully it stays that way. And I think there's a little more buzz about this team than the one uh, last year that we chatted about. Yeah. And a lot has changed in the four months since we last sat down with you. I mean, the, the last time we talked to you, you know, Cam Newton had signed back with the team that was fairly fresh and, and Bill went on a huge spending uh, spree. And now we've gone through the draft, which happened a couple of weeks after we spoke to you last. And, you know, the quarterback taken in the first round by the New England Patriots. And we were coming fresh off of a Tampa Bay Super Bowl in which Tom Brady was the Super Bowl winning quarterback again. And, you know, it's amazing how far we've come with no football re- regarding football. So what, one thing I just mentioned is the Tampa Bay Super Bowl. And we've talked about this a little bit, but do you think that Bill Belichick is going to push a little bit harder to be successful this season in the immediate aftermath of Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl? He won't admit it. He wouldn't admit it on a lie detector test. Truth serum wouldn't get it out of him. But I do think somewhere deep down, maybe not so deep down, he kept score. He saw what Brady did. and. He keeps hearing now that, you know, it was more Brady than Belichick and Brady's getting all the credit and Brady is subtly or not so subtly kind of needling that narrative. And so, yeah, I would suspect that somewhere in under the hoodie, Belichick wants to kind of bring things back in a positive direction for himself in the periods. And that's been, you know, it's kind of a silly question after I asked it. I'm like, you know, of course he wants to be successful, but, you know, is he going to push that much harder with the team that he has? And there's been a lot of good things coming out of camp that we've seen in the last you know, week and a half that they've had camp. All the new guys are there. Uh, obviously on defense, you have the Judons and on offense, you have, you know, Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. So, you know, you've been able to see these guys out on the field and, offensively, which was a source thought with this team in 2020, throwing the ball and being able to get it to receivers was an issue for what we believe is, was an injured Cam Newton. Who is the New England Patriots number one receiver going into 2021? And why is it not Nikhil Harry? (laughs) Well, prior to him missing uh, time recently, I would say Nelson Aguilar. He looked really good early in camp. He looked very good in mini camp, and and then all of a sudden he's kind of faded away. But I think injury might have something to do with that. But it's clear that again from the practices that we're we've been able to see every single day, at least early on, he's got speed and he can beat one-on-one coverage, but he's not just a run down the field, get by whoever uh, deep threat. He's 
you know, they can use him all over the field and he can, he looked really good in crossing patterns and all kinds of, you know, different ways than just straight line run down the field. So I think he's a little more polished receiver than perhaps his reputation. So I would definitely put him as the number one, assuming he's healthy. Would it be fair to say that Cam might also target one of the tight ends more than a receiver? Because when you look at the, when you look at this roster, I saw that question and I thought it might not even be a receiver. It, it could be John New Smith or Hunter Henry if he gets his panes of glass taped back up and he can, he can actually play sixteen or seventeen games. Well, a little early to be going in Hunter Henry story, but what are, what are the odds that that this is this is a breakout year for John? Well, I actually I agree with your assessment that he might be the top gun and the top guy. And that's just based on what I've seen and how he's been used. And the frequency, both Newton and Mac Jones go to him as either an outlet or down the field or across the field. Or I guess I'm, I'm not supposed to give away all these little trick plays. We're not supposed to report on those things, but let's, Let's just say, let's just say they you they've been using Janu in a variety of ways, both across the line and in the backfield, and that might be saying too much. Well, I think I think our listeners would would know that that's the old Aaron Hernandez way. That's the most comparable comparison, right? Is that you're going to have a dedicated tight end and Hunter Henry who will wind up to be a blocking tight end again if he can be there, and then Janu Smith can just go everywhere on the field for the offense. He can block too. Let me tell you, I've seen him level people already. Yeah, he's a big boy, and and, and in that in that same vein, because you know Joe had mentioned, obviously we drafted Mac Jones. I was thinking about this. This is Bill's first real quarterback competition since two thousand and one, right? We know that he thought Brady was the best on the practice field, but he went with Drew because Drew was a known commodity. In your opinion. How do you think Bill Belichick has handled this quarterback controversy or, or decision-making process so far? Yeah, I wouldn't call it a controversy yet, yeah. but it might be shaping up to be one. <laughs> Let me put it that way. A lot of people are calling it a competition. Yep. I'm calling it a countdown. <laughs> Basically, Cam's a guy and it's just a matter of time before Mac jumps over him so it's kind of a countdown and i mean he is a first round pick number 15 overall so everyone knows cam included that mac jones is the quarterback of the future i think it's just a matter of how long cam can hold him off how is bill Belichick going about it well it's interesting that the reps are, are similar almost equal if not even more for Mac Jones. And some people would kind of scratch their head at that. Like, you know, the starter needs the majority of the reps, but this is such a different situ situation. You have a starter in Cam who last year was the 30th ranked quarterback in QBR. And obviously there were things conspiring against him last year. You know, joining them late, getting COVID, trying to learn the offense on the fly. So, you know, coming back from numerous injuries. So, you know, maybe that wasn't the fairest year to assess him. But that being said, he's not somebody like Brady where he, Brady shows up and he's the guy. End of story. They have to know what they have in Mac Jones for two reasons. At least, in my view, one, can he overtake Cam? Number one, you know, can he learn fast enough? Can he grasp everything he, ha he has to do to leap him? And if not, will they feel comfortable enough for him to be the sole number two backup so they don't have to carry three quarterbacks? And I think that's a very important distinction. And they can't find that out if Cam's taking 80% of the snaps and he's taking 20. You mentioned you mentioned not having to, to carry three quarterbacks, and that's very interesting to me because right now, 
the quarterbacks coach for the New England Patriots is listed as Josh McDaniels on the website, which is fine. However, you mentioned three quarterbacks. The third quarterback on this roster right now is Brian Hoyer, who we know was always someone that Tom Brady would mention in post games. He'd mention in interviews that Brian Hoyer was a very a big asset to this team. Something we've seen in the past is that maybe Cam Newton doesn't pick up offenses as well as other quarterbacks do. So is with Mac Jones developing and, you know, I was thinking, oh, should I ask her if she thinks he's an NFL ready quarterback right now? I won't put you on the spot, but is Brian Hoyer there as the third quarterback to essentially bring him up to speed and get him to that level? And Cam Newton kind of knows his role, as you mentioned, that maybe prior to 2020, when he signed, he knew that he was just the bridge guy. Well, I'll attack this from a couple of places. Number one, there's no question Warrior was brought back because he's just, at least at this juncture, a much better mentor for Mac Jones. Because believe it or not, after Tom Brady and maybe Josh McDaniels, there's nobody out there who knows the, the offense better than Brian Warrior. He's been here so many times. And like through the ages and through the years where things have, you know, where they keep expanding and expanding and expanding. So from that perspective, he's such a good guy. And you can see it during practice too, that, you know, if Jones has a bad moment, Boyer's right in his ear. If what, if Mac Jones does something good, there's Hoyer again, he's encouraging him or, pointing out things and helping him along. It's hard to expect Cam Newton, who's fighting for his life and fighting for his job, to to really tutor and mentor someone who's going to take his job. Although, I must say, Cam has been very supportive of him. The other role, there's actually a couple roles. The other role that might keep Brian Boyer on this team is he's been such a good as the number two and sometimes number three, a very good scout team quarterback week to week. The scout team quarterback prepares the defense and basically mimics the other quarterback or the other offense. And Ryan Hoyer has been so good in that role. I mean, they kept him here last year. Jared Stidham was here last year. Jared Stidham is still around, but he just had back surgery, and it'll be interesting to see if he's healthy, if, if, if they don't just IR him the whole year or if they bring him on. Here's the one asterisk I'll put into the equation that might go against having them just keep two, As, aside from what Brian Hoyer does for the scout team. And again, if you want Mac Jones to learn, do you want him on the scout team or do you want him taking reps with Cam as the number two? Really? So, so that's why Brian Hoyer serves a purpose, although they could get somebody on the practice squad to do it. But here's the other thing. What happened last year when Cam went down? COVID. COVID is still lurking. And it might wipe out one quarterback, two quarterbacks. Oh, I mean, who knows how many quarterbacks it might wipe out. Look what happened to Denver. They were playing a wide receiver at quarterback. So that might necessitate them keeping more than two. They kept more than two quarterbacks or more than three quarterbacks on an active roster. It was in 2001. Brady's here again. <laughs> when Brady was the number four to begin the year. So. And he was fast of the floor during training camp. And, and you know, and it's, it's so interesting to, and, and people now are, are comparing, and this is just a quick rant, but comparing Mac Jones to what Tom Brady was back then. And it's like, you, you can't, we just can't do that anymore because that hindsight is so, I've said this before on the show to look back in 2001. And, and if anybody can honestly tell me that when Tom Brady stepped onto that field after Drew Bledsoe was taken out by Mo Lewis, that the season was going to go the way it was, and he was going to have the career. I would have told you you were crazy because there was no predicting that. And you can't do that with Mac Jones either. Now you mentioned Brian Hoyer being on the other side of the ball, playing the scout team quarterback. Can I jump in for one second? Yeah. That thought as you were reeling off information, Brady, that though, 
his first couple of years, the writers who watched training camp those years raved about him and thought he was, again, better than Drew Bledsoe at that time during the training camp window. Whether that whether people could predict how great he was going to be, probably not. But there were signs during that training camp, according those who, to those who were there, that Brady was going to be good. I was asked today by somebody, you know, have I ever seen a, a quarterback, a rookie quarterback in the Patriots' midst? get so many reps and the answer was no or be such a be such such a fast learner and so fast tracked and again the answer is no but I think the circumstance and the fact that he's a first round draft pick kind of dictate him getting the reps whereas you know, Jared Stidham was a fourth round pick. Why are you going to, you know, use up his reps while except Tom Brady was there? So I just think circumstances, A, reflect the snaps he's getting, but also he's handling the work. And that's another reason. Yeah, I, I was going to say last time that yeah, you were on, Karen, we were all we all hypothesized or speculated that we thought that Bill and Josh were going to draft someone that 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 was more like Cam, right? That was a mobile-ish type of quarterback, right? And then th- they took, you know, they didn't move up to pick Justin Fields like I had hoped that they would do, they, and, and and they took Mac Jones. So, how surprised were you about that pick? And now that you've had some time to see him in person, did they make the right decision? Well. <laughs> It was so hard to, you know, when looking at all the quarterbacks and watching their college film and seeing what each one of them does, Mac Jones, in theory, was the perfect fit. But he was like the perfect fit for the Tom Brady offense that they've been playing for the past two decades. Without question, he, in that scenario... You know, and a lot of people were predicting they they were going to take Mac Jones from jump for that very reason. But when Bill brought Cam back, it almost set, seemed to be kind of at cross purposes. Why would you get a drop back pocket passer when the guy in front of him is a mobile read option, you know, pass run option type quarterback who's mobile? It just it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But again, what do I know? <laughs> Br- bringing that full circle a little bit. It's very interesting that you, you brought that up and Mike brought up the Aaron Hernandez style offense that they ran when Hernandez and Gronkowski were here. That is kind of the offense they're looking to get back to. And it's so interesting because they wanted to run that offense with Tom Brady. They did run that offense with Tom Brady with a drop back quarterback. Now Cam uh, allows that extra dynamic of being able to move as long as his feet are, are as long as he's healthy. I mean, that's the thing is we can talk as much about the quarterbacks as we want, but if, if Cam Newton is healthy and he's 2016 Cam, even not the year after his MVP season, then we're doing pretty well for ourselves. But if they go back to that offense and they really kind of, we, we talked about this back in April that signing John New Smith, Hunter Henry, bringing in Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, they're really kind of mimic the Carolina offense that he had when he had Greg Olson and Steve Smith Sr. Now, again, I don't think Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne are 75% of the player that Steve Smith Sr. was. But if they can bring that style of offense back and kind of plug Mac into it a little bit more, couldn't you see that? Could you see it being? A kind of a quarterback by committee if they're trying to run this Tom Brady style offense of the past with Cam Newton having Mac Jones waiting in the wings? Who's the starter? I, I well, that's a great question. I, I'll tell you what. Like if you're going to use utilize both of them as I think you're saying, who starts and who comes in? How how does the dynamic work? I don't think that's a Bill style. I don't think Bill wants to do it. I I don't think he likes that style because he's had opportunities in the past to do it. And 
this conversation came up when they had Garoppolo and, and Brady and it, and Brady was aging. And at that time, you know, I mean, Cam is aging uh, less gracefully than Tom was at 32 years old, as we all know. But I, I think right now, I hate to say it and Mike's going to smile when I say it, but it's a Cam Newton offense. I think to just to quickly answer your theoretical question, Karen, because I love this question because you're there. I'm not. I think Bill loves Cam. I think because Cam's done all the right things. So in that instance, he would he would start Cam so that Cam gets paid the incentives in his contract. But I think, could you, I mean, let's just say that this happens. It's the most, it's just the weirdest universe of all time. Ernie, you just, yeah, I, I think. Would you ever see a situation where Bill would say, okay, well, Cam, I like you doing all the right things. You can, you're going to start, you're going to get paid, but the, the plays are going to be 75, 25 for you, Cam. So Max going to be in there for six plays, seven plays again. Yeah. There's been discussion about that, but again, the dynamic, if Cam is the starter and they bring Mac in, but here's the thing, Cam's actually is helps the offense in the red zone with his mobility. So let's like, would you have him move him all ball all the way down the field and then hand off to Mac Jones? Or do you flip it the other way around? Have Mac move it all the way down the field and then bring Cam in as a Taysom Hill type of weapon. That offends me less. Not that I'm offended by it, but that would offend. I think that would offend Patriots fans less to do it that way. And I, I think that that would be something that the Mac Jones would understand more. Right. Well, I, I don't, here's the, the problem with all that. I don't see Cam Newton going along with that scenario. It's, it's so interesting. You mentioned that because as we're talking about this, I'm like, uh, Cam Newton's not, he's not a top 10 quarterback anymore. But five years ago, he was top 10. I mean, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He won the MVP. He went to a stool. He's not some, you know, journeyman quarterback that, and speaking of journeyman quarterback, I, I wish a Hoyer never got hurt when he was with the Browns because I think he would have been the best Browns quarterback since. Tim Couch? No, no. Uh, Gerback. But anyway, moving on. But going back to it, it, it's the same thing. So we have to treat Cam the same way we would treat any other starting quarterback in in new england it's just the way we have to do it 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 never would have happened under tom brady that he would have been okay with it so why should we expect cam to be okay with it it happened under bledsoe though right right karen i mean do you remember the 2000 yeah yeah, of course you do you you, 2000 season i think michael bishop was in there for what was it was it 18 different plays that year and he was the hail mary guy so right he's done it before Hmm. very true in year one sure but again, the dynamic of it, but Drew was still the guy. Right. But does it make sense? It, again, if Cam's still the guy and you bring in Mac for 15% of the plays, which 15% of, of the plays are those? Yeah. The kneel downs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me put this another way or present an interesting dynamic. Okay, I think obviously Bill Belichick has likes Cam Newton, likes him personally, and has been sticking by him as a player. But I think part of that is Cam kind of Cam was one of the first mobile quarterbacks. I mean, a lot of people are getting credit for it now, but he was. You know, he was Lamar Jackson before Lamar Jackson. And I think Bill knows how much harder it is to defend a mobile quarterback like a Cam Newton, because guess what? He has to defend Lamar Jackson. He's had to defend somebody like a Patrick Mahomes who will kill him running the football if he lets him. So all of these mobile quarterbacks basically take away a defender on defense because somebody has to account for the quarterback. And I think since Bill knows how tough that is to do, you know, to defend these mobile guys, well, why don't I have one? It, it make it hard for, harder for the defense because obviously when he had Brady, did the safety have to play up? Did the linebacker have to spy Brady because he was going to take up? No. They could flood the zones, all of his passing zones. But the reason why it, it, 
it didn't matter because Brady was so damn good. And their offense was predicated on quick read, quick passing, get the ball out, and, and, it, and it fit Brady to a T. And him being smart and being able to read defenses was also in line with that. Mac Jones is not Tom Brady, but he is a carbon copy of that type of quarterback. And I think Josh McDaniels is completely enamored with Mac Jones. So do you have Bill on one side, the Cam guy, because what Cam can do and how he can impact the defense, and you have Mac Jones, who basically is the perfect fit for Josh McDaniels' offense. So that's why I find this all fascinating. It, it is fascinating. And now it, it, we, we talk about the quarterbacks and if they'll be ready. To the best of your knowledge, and I want to ask it that way, Nason, because you're not necessarily, you're not an employee of the New England Patriots, but is Cam Newton healthy enough to run the offense the way they want him to run the offense? Well, he's, I mean, he's definitely looked different during training camp, different meaning better. Yeah. Uh, but what's the degree of better? I mean, you know, there was been a couple of days when he was incredibly accurate that you would go, wow. And then the next day it would be more toward the can you saw last year. You know, couldn't hit the side of a barn door. (laughs) (laughs) But the instances of the barn door have been much fewer and far between. I mean, Cam's the reason why Mac Jones isn't above him right now is because Cam has kind of been holding them off and has done a good enough job in training camp to this point hold off the kid. That must be great in the coach's offices when Josh and Bill go back and forth and one of them has a good day over the other one. But you mentioned Bill being, you know, the cam guy and Josh being the Mac guy, cam backwards. But now one thing we talked about on the last time you were on was Robert Kraft talking about how other people in the room were going to have more of a hand in what was going on in the front office than they had in the past. Bill, not that Bill was going to take a back seat, but more people were going to be involved. I, th- I think because of what you said about Josh McDaniels being enamored with Mac, we can say that that Mac Jones pick was one of those instances where people were a little more involved. Is Josh McDaniels' voice going to be bigger in those game planning sessions and allow him to have a little more control over his offensive side of the ball. And I don't want to say at one position or the other, because I kind of mean this everywhere on offense, because right now there needs, we all know there needs to be a uh, revamp of this offense. So I don't want to say, is he going to overstep bill and put Mac under center? That's not what I'm asking, but is he going to have more of a say in the game plan offensively? Josh, he's always had, I, I think Bill pretty much just says you handle the offense and that, I mean, in last year, that's sort of had how it had to be because there were so many missing people from defense and whether it was opt-outs or injuries or whatnot, that Bill's focus had to be on trying to put the defense together. Okay, you know, Josh, you handle the offense. I mean, that's Josh's baby, just like defense is Bill's baby. But, you know, in saying... Mac is Josh's guy and Cam's Bill's guy. Bill has a set of eyes too. And he sees what's happening in practice. And I have to think that what he's seen from Mac Jones has intrigued him. You know, to the point where, yeah, give him more. Let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can do. I mean, Bill's all about putting the team in the best position to win. And if ultimately he thinks Mac's that guy, maybe he would bump uh, Mac over his guy. And, and for a couple of reasons, no, he doesn't like playing rookies. That's kind of a given. Right. 
But we've seen Belichick adapt. I mean, he he adapted some of his coaching style. Whatever worked in Cleveland, he tried to fix and change. I mean, he's he had the guys out playing cornhole together. I mean, on a group outing. I mean, it's like he's done things to try and change it up. So he's not so set in his ways. And while we're all assuming he'll never play a rookie at quarterback, (laughs) an upper is typically his MO. I think he's, he can bend. And I also in the back of his mind is the Brady thing. And he needs to put the Patriots in the best position to win. And I don't think he's going to be blind to Mac Jones just because he's a rookie. You just brought that up, the Brady thing. So I'm so happy that you did. I have a two-part question. One, in your time in you know covering uh, major Boston sports and covering the New England Patriots, has there ever been a more anticipated regular season game than that of the week four matchup when the GOAT comes back to the farm, number one? And number two... Is there any chance that uh, that Belichick starts Mac Jones before that game? You know, that's a great question. A lot of, I mean, some people think it would be wise to have Mac Jones avoid that game. And that's where the people in camps can't think, you know, start cam. The first couple of games are easy. Build some momentum, get crushed week four, and then bring, bring the kid in. So I don't know. I think we save everybody the hassle and just start Brian Hoyer that game. <laughs> Doesn't that scenario accomplish two different things, right? Let's say that the Patriots, because their first three games are, per, are quote unquote easy, right? If you, you could say that going into that week four matchup, there's a real possibility that the Patriots and the Bucks are both three and out. Let's say they get trounced by the Buccaneers, which I fundamentally believe will happen. Then they bench camp. Cam's three and one as a starter in 2021 had a pretty good year, but they benched him for the next guy. Doesn't that set Cam up for an okay position to go find himself a starting job next year? I must interject though. You still, you guys know. <laughs> I predicted an upset week four. Oh my! I'm thinking either it's going to be a slaughter by the by Tampa Bay, which probably will happen. But you know what? It would not. Shock me or surprise me one bit if the Patriots won that game. And as much as Brady knows the defense and knows, you know, Belichick, the reverse is true too. Yep. Belichick knows what his weaknesses are or knows how to get to him and knows how to rattle him. And he brought in pass rushers. He brought in... Guys who are in the middle of the line, and we know we've seen Brady vulnerable if they could penetrate up the middle. All I'm saying is, if anyone knows a blueprint how to beat Brady, it would be Belichick. Well, Bill built him. I mean, I mean, Mike. Sure, he came in pre-built, but he, I mean, he he added the parts. But you know what? I see that that game, in, and we saw it back in the the late two thousands, and the undefeated season was one down lineman and the other six of the front seven floating around the ball and floating around and not and kind of being an amoeba defense and not showing what's going to come in order to confuse the old man across the other side. You know, I, I think that that's a possibility. I think I, I actually meant that now that I've thought about it, that Hoyer should probably start that game. No, stop. stop Stop it. Why? If that, okay. So the, I, I agree with Karen here. This is, this is a classic Patriots underdog game. It will either be a blowout or the Patriots will, will, will win by three. That's it. They will either lose by 20 or they will win by three. That's, 40. Yeah. Right. And that, that's like that Baltimore game last year. That's how, that's how that feels. It's going into it. You're like, all right, this will either be the worst game that you've ever witnessed or we might win. Every yeah. beat writer is going to have a field day with Dallas if the Patriots can pull that off. Right. Yeah. I don't think he, 
So one of the, you know, one of the things that, that the Patriots have really done that we've already kind of touched on uh, this offseason, they've really retooled that offense. They have that double head, you know, that two headed monster at tight end. I am not. <laughs> I've actually was on the air on this show the night before the Patriots picked him up and say, I'm so glad they picked up John New Smith, Hunter Henry, 6'5", 265, made a glass. Direct quote. Next day they signed him. Do you have any concerns with, with, with his ability to stay healthy in terms of the Patriots' success this year, Karen? Well, the fact that he's injured now and tends to get injured would lead you to believe that. But, I mean, I don't know. If people think guys are injury-prone or whatever, you know, the Patriots would have signed them. I, I mean, I think Bill Belichick has loved Hunter Henry for many years. And, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But there's no question that their success as an offense is going to be predicated on both of those tight ends being healthy. And again, it's just, it's the whole picture. It's the offensive line. It's their running game. It's the tight ends. And also, again, with the running game expected to be good, that is going to set up quite a bit of play action. And I mean, things like that help a quarterback. It helps. It's going to, it would help Cam Newton. It would help Mac Jones. If everyone bites on the run because they're a successful running team and that open up, opens up so many more avenues. So again, their offense is going to be run first, shove it down your throat and that will allow them to set up the passing game. Uh, along those same lines, because uh, before we, t- we talk about the, the first preseason game tomorrow night or tonight, for those of you listening on Thursday, I think the Patriots have always, not always, but they had made some pretty notable either trades or cuts in the preseason that really just kind of baffle you. And you just mentioned the running game. So I have a question for you. I'm going to give you my answer and I'm going to ask a question. I think it's James White. Who might be a surprise cut or trade in the preseason? Well, I've seen the James White things. I mean, Sony Michelle is another one. Oh, I hope it's Sony Michelle. What's that? I said, I hope it's Sony Michelle. You can't say that, but I'll say it. I, I, I hope it's it. Especially for, you know, a team like, there's teams out there that are losing running backs. Hello, Rams. Yep. Um, and and it might net you something in return. But here's my word of caution on you know, dumping James White or even dumping Sony Michelle because their offense is going to revolve around the running game. And, you know, you're going to have, we're going back to the kind of short dumps, whether it's to the tight end or to the running backs. I would just be cautious before getting rid of Sony Michelle. Or James White for those very reasons. If Damian Harris gets hurt, okay, who's your back? And chances are, you know, running backs get hurt. Damian Harris got hurt last year. Sony Michelle's always hurt. You, but you need. So what are you going to do? I mean, okay, Brandon Bolden, you're going to lead the. You're going to lead the charge. Oh no, I do love Brandon Bolden, but I would rather see Sony Michelle go over Brandon Bolden if we're just going out of the backfield. But to that end, and, and I, I don't think it's going to be James White for the exact reasons you just mentioned, Karen. I, I think that he is that back that is going to, again, same thing that Cam kind of had in the Carolina and somebody that, that Tom had towards the, the end of his time here was James White. You need to know. Yeah, he's that veteran guy. So, you know, originally my next question was going to be, does, do the Patriots need another wideout? But I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase that. Could you see them trading Nikhil Harry for another piece in the backfield or trying to package something for a better wideout that might fit the system better? They would not get that in return. <laughs> Short. No, that and that's that's fine. That's why that's they'll the way be, they have They'll be lucky to get a six round pick. That's such a nice way for you to say that, Karen. I, I don't disagree with you because I, I had that actually as my first. Actually, Mike and I. Wouldn't it be great? Like, oh, you know, geez. Mike and I. Franklin Thomas for Nikhil Harry in a pick yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. Right. That's never. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, hey, listen, Taysom Hill needs somebody to throw to. Why would you want it to be Michael Thomas when the comedian Nikhil Harry? But you, that was actually the first thing Mike and I had, had written here, like Nikhil Harry, is he a real wide receiver threat or will he be traded? That's a direct quote. But based on your answer there, probably neither. No, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I think the Patriots actually like that he sort of flashed in camp. But my caution there, and he's put together they're his best two, three week stretch counting any training camp or any regular season in this, these past couple of weeks. But my caution there is he's done, he's made all these highlight reel. I mean, literally these remarkable athletic type of catches during like one-on-one drills meaning it's just him against the, the the defensive back and the quarterback heaves it up there. And I mean, it plays to his strength. He's a contested, his reputation was as a contested catch monster. And he's shown that when they get into team drills and they're going 11 on 11 and seven on seven, he's pretty much been invisible. Great. So he, he's Chad Ochocinco. That's what he is. Wait. Again, that's my cost. My look, he's looked better. I mean, he wasn't even making these plays in any training camp. So, you know, that's a positive and that's a good thing because you do see the ability there. But once it's like a real competition, 11 on 11, seven on seven, he still struggles to get open. I know we're going down a rabbit hole and I, I don't want to go too far down it, but I have a conspiracy theory that I want to float by you, Karen, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds that Bill is making sure that Nikhil Harry looks good in those one-on-one drills to increase his trade value? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he can set it up where Harry is making all these diving catches flipping <laughs> over and, and doing what he's been doing. But I think... Let's remember, the two of them had a little chat right after Harry's agent went out public with a trade request. And I think whatever Bill said to Harry kind of, a, a, made him come to camp, but also changed his attitude in some way. So whether Bill's motive was to build him up and build him up too so that he would perform better so that he could get his butt out of town in a trade. Maybe. I, I think, I think Bill is still a big fan of Nikhil Harry because of that conversation he had with him. So, you know, we could talk about that as fans and beat writers and everything else, like what we've seen. But I think a lot of other times if, if an agent, now he's always going to go and have that conversation with the player because that's just the, the kind of guy that Bill is. And when that story came out from Harry's agent, I was a little surprised that that was floated publicly because that's not something that happens coming out of the Patriots locker room. And you just don't see that. So. I, I think him having that conversation with McKeel was a little more to try and get him, as you said, which it worked, get him to come to camp and be all in. Can I flip and be a little bit of a devil's advocate, though? Please. Would you think Belichick would have that same type of conversation with a fifth-round receiver? No, and that's why and that's why I said it, because I think... He's only first-round receiver right. ever. So I think there's a little different dynamic going on there. You know, we, we've heard Bill's, his, his hoorah speed. He knows how to get players motivated, right? Like we all know about how he read the Pittsburgh Steelers parade route to the team. I could literally envision Bill bringing the kill area to the room. Again, this is Mike. This is not Karen or Joe saying like, all right, so we floated some offers for you out there and all we got in return was some Burt's Beast. You're not worth anything. So like, go out there and prove it. And now Nikhil Harry is showing up like a number two wide receiver in the league. I just wouldn't put it past Bill. He's a great motivator. Yeah. As I said, something happened. All of a sudden, you're seeing a different Nikhil Harry. Again, I don't want to totally minimize what he's doing in one-on-ones. I mean, you still have to make the plays, and he's made the plays. But he still has the problems that we've seen in, you know, basically getting off the line and getting open during these 11 on 11 and seven on seven sessions. So speaking of receivers having a tough time getting off the line, switching sides of the ball on, on defense, have there been any developments defensively that, that 
show that this team is ready to go this year on defense. And then the second part of that question is Stefan Gilmore. Well, I can tell you the front seven has been very impressive. So impressive that Trent Brown, it's basically boasting about them because he has to, you know, he has to stop the Judons of the world from getting in the Joss Uches from getting in the backfield. And Trent Brown keeps telling us that this defense is going to be special because, again, he has to go up against this front seven every day. The secondary without Gilmore is lacking, and it's very obvious. I mean, J.C. Jackson has been fine, but again, if you move the two to number one, then you're putting a nut some other guy at, as a number two. And thus far, the, the outside boundaries receiver opposite Jackson, whether it's Jalen Mills, who's just trying to learn the defense, or Jawan Williams, they've struggled. And again, if that's what you're starting with, if Brady is going to pick them, pick that side apart. He will go down that way every single time. I mean, that's the difference of having Gilmore on one side and J.C. Jackson on the other. There's no real gapage. They have a gap without Gilmore. Will that gap be filled, and will it be Stefan Gilmore? I have to believe it. I mean, my, my brain tells me, you know, Bill Belichick didn't put together and spend all this money and get this type of defense to have a fatal flaw at one corner or have a fatal flaw because he's undermanned because he doesn't have the elite shutdown corner. I think J.C. Jackson is good. I'm just not ready to call him a a legitimate shutdown corner. I mean, he had nine interceptions, but a lot of that is because they're avoiding Gilmore and going to his side, and he's not playing the top guy. When he had to fill him for Gilmore last year, Stefan Diggs torched him. So, again, there's a difference. That's really good. J.C. Jackson covering the number two and J.C. Jackson covering the number one. You'd have to think that Bill knows he's never won a championship without a, without a number one corner. Right. Ever. He's just never done it, right? So I, I think he'll smarten up. I don't like holdouts. I don't like contract disputes. We know what happened to Logan Mankins. The, the, the one thing that I'll ask you uh, about is, so I, I have a little bit of PTSD from 2007, right? I think we all do. Matt Judon, to me, feels a lot like Adelius Thomas. So Karen, I need you to tell me why this is not going to be the same situation and, and tell me that you've seen things because you were there for Adelius, right? Well, so- bring back the Jetsons? <laughs> Remember that? He, wait, he, he got the... Uh- Sent away because he, he didn't get there in a snowstorm. And he said, what do you mean? I'm going to get like the Jetsons and fly here? I mean, that was like the best Adela's Times moment. I'm sorry. I, we regress or I digress. No, you're fine. But I, I, I when I think of an outside roaming linebacker from Baltimore that you spend a lot of money on, he's the first guy that, that comes to mind. So for Patriot fans like me out there, what have you seen so far in camp, right? That leads you to believe that he will fit in this system. Well, he looks like a perfect fit. And, but, you know, it's so weird. So, Dallas Thomas. <laughs> but I think Dallas Thomas basically, here's the thing with Bill Belichick and defense, and it applied to Jamie Collins too. You're going to do what Bill Belichick tells you, and you're going to play your position the way Bill Belichick wants you to. No freelancing, right? I think Adalus Thomas was a freelancer. Jamie Collins was a freelancer and got sent away. When he came back, he stopped the freelancing because he, he finally got it. Bill Belichick's defenses are so specific that everyone has to do their thing. And if someone kind of breaks rank, everything, you know, is a miss. Do I think Judon... It seems more in line with doing what Belichick says. I do. So, but we'll see. 
Good. Thank you. That's all I needed to hear. Belichick, Belichick hasn't been, I mean, I know we're in the day of inflated salaries, but he, Judon represents the most Belichick has ever spent on a defensive player, free agent wise. So we'll see. And as I said when we were chatting earlier, I like I, I like his makeup. I like Matt Judon's makeup. <laughs> and and he seems to again, he seems to get it. So we'll see. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Craig, go ahead. I know you got something to say. I, I just want I just want to sidebar real quick since we brought up Daly's Thomas. There aren't a lot of singular plays that I remember because I've watched football for a long time, like we all have. I, when I think of Adelius Thomas, I still think back in 2009, Brett Favre was on the Jets and Adelius Thomas just destroying him like 40 yards back in the backfield at one play. It was, I loved Adelius Thomas on the Patriots. He's one of my favorites. Well, he actually, if, to be fair, I mean, he was actually very good in the playoffs for them one year and he might have been their best player. So seven, right? Yeah. But he, but again, it's just that. He and Belichick clashed. Adela saw himself doing, you know, playing the way he wanted in the defense or doing what he wanted to do in the defense. Whereas, you know, Belichick tried to put him in positions to succeed or positions that would best help the defense collectively. It might not have been where Adela wanted to play, but. In Bill's mind, this is where he was leaded. And I think that's where a lot of the clashing took place. Yeah, that, that was just... So I, I think Judon is... Uh, I, obviously, they're different players, right? But if you look at the tape, so much of, of his... Of the stats that really got him paid were predicated on the fact that he saw something and he did it, which made me believe that he was uh, a freelancer. And I know... That Belichick, as you mentioned, Belichick's defense is predicated on the fact that if everyone does what he thinks that they're going to do, it'll hold up. If one person doesn't, then you've exposed a whole side of the field. So that was my one concern. He's super talented. So is Adelius Thomas. But I'm, I'm glad to, th- you know, I'm glad to, to hear that you think that as of this point, he is he's someone that, that will fall in rank and do what he's supposed to do. That makes me feel re- really good. He sounds like, well, I don't know. Again, you can. Uh, you know, you can talk a good game and sound like you're buying in, but for now, he sounds like he's buying in. He's a really nice guy. Some would say sweet as apple pie. Go, go, oh. go ahead, Joe. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it's it's interesting talking about this preseason. We've kind of thrown out some names of guys that have not fallen in line. The Adelius Thomases. Mike brought up Chad Johnson. I refuse to call him the other name, even though it was legal. But we head into the preseason with the New England Patriots, the NFL preseason, which started last week with a riveting game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers in Canton, Ohio. Nothing like watching Ben DiNucci have a tough time in a preseason game. But besides the point, the the New England Patriots take on the Washington football team on August 12th. They'll also take on the Eagles and the Giants both on the road. Then a week off. And then they start the season against the Dolphins for a 17-game season. Looking at the preseason, what can we expect in these three games in you know knowledge that you can share with us? What can we expect in these three games? And what positives and negatives coming out of camp can we see? And then to that end, you're always very good at going along, being able to, to retain the questions because I never could. Does this seem like a looser camp? and a looser preseason to you for a Bill Belichick coach team? Loose isn't a word I would put in the same sentence with Bill Belichick. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> no, I mean, it's been pretty straightforward. You know, they've had their little rookie hazing, you know, watering them down and have them slide, slip and slide. I mean, we've seen a lot of the usual type things. But, I mean, it's different. I mean... Again, coming off what they did last year or what they had to go through last year to, you know, most of their work was done indoors, you know, in a virtual meetings. And the fact that they're outdoors trying to take advantage of, you know, the time they have, they actually have preseason games. There's one fewer. So 
I'm not sure how Bel- Bill Belichick is going to attack having three instead of four. Usually, most of the starters would play in the third, and that's where you would get the most action. And then all the scrubs played in the fourth game. So I'm not sure quite how it's going to shake out, except, I mean, he has some decisions to make and quarterback being the most important one. And it, it was very telling that, you know, without Cam Newton having the benefit of any preseason games, you know, in the long run that had an impact, even though, I mean, he looked good early in, in the year. I think the bigger tells or the bigger information intel gathering for Belichick are going to be the joint practices. They have sessions with the Eagles before the Eagles game and with the Giants before the Giants games. And I think Bill really loves him some joint practices. And I think that might even give him even more information than a preseason game. So I just have one more question, Karen, because I, I know that uh, we've, we're, we can go down to so many more rabbit holes here. Obviously, Super Bowl it is the ultimate sign of success, right? And I don't know, I don't know how many of us think that's, that, that, that could happen this year. My question to you is, just to tie back to the first question that Joe asked about, will Bill push harder because of Tom Brady's Super Bowl win? As someone who's around the team all the time and has covered the team for so long, in that perspective, what does success look like for the New England Patriots this year? making the playoffs. I mean, doing what they didn't do last year, kind of getting their hat back in the ring and, you know, basically restoring some faith and restoring their reputation as a contending team. I don't expect them to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not even sure they'll get to the AFC championship, but it's kind of getting back on the horse or getting back on the bike and basically trying to restore what was lost last year. So do you think that the Patriots have, again, 17-win season, no one below 11-5 and five made it to the playoffs last year. We would need to win 12, 12 games? Do you think that this team, as currently constituted, again, my last question, is a 12-5, and five, is a 12-win team? I think they're right around 11. I mean, but again, look, the schedule doesn't scare me no yeah. uh, at least their schedule and i don't think they're gonna go three and three against the afc east like they did last year I, I, I mean let's say they go four and two okay there's one more win there some of their opponents i mean they play carolina they play jacksonville i mean you can just sort of add in you know do we and you know do we think the Saints are going to beat them in Foxborough. Do we think the Cowboys are going to beat them in Foxborough? I mean, I know playing at home wasn't the what it once was when Tom Brady was here, but I still think it factors in with these teams having to travel and come to Foxborough. So if you look, if you go game by game and game by game by game by game, they you can see 10-11 12 if they're lucky. So they'll be right there on the cusp. Yeah, Buffalo and, and Tampa, those three games are the, are the ones that kind of are the most intimidating, I guess is the word. Cleveland and Tennessee are tough too. That's why I, I can find 11 wins. Cleveland's going to be tough. Tennessee, I don't know if it's going to be as tough. I actually, I have them, I think I have them losing to Tennessee and I have them losing to Cleveland. But there's some road games. You know, Indy's quarterback situation. I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots went in there and, and won that game. You yep. know, I think the Chargers are going to be much tougher this year out there. So that game's kind of a coin flip. But if the Patriots win their share of the coin flips, again, yep. they're going to be right there. But, you know, I see them splitting their games with Buffalo as opposed to going 0-2. Sure. See them splitting with Miami because that's typically what they do. I see them sweeping the Jets. So, again, you're starting with four. Looking through the schedule, I can get them up to 10 or 11. And 11 and 6 is going to be, I think that's the mark. And and I know, Mike, you said 12 and 5. I think that 11 and 6 is is that mark to, will Buffalo win 
the, the division, it's possible. Will the Patriots go in as a wild card? It's very possible. But I, I agree with you. I don't think the Jets are a threat yet. I like what Robert Asala is going to do down there. I like what the Jets are doing, but they're not, they're, they're really in rebuild mode. And they're actually, again, they seem to finally have a clue. You know, in years past, no clue. And with all the draft capital they have and all the cap space they have, you know, if they're, if they've turned it around as much as they have this year and do so again next year, again, 2022, 2023 is when the Jets will be a player again. This is a, a, just a weird hypothetical, but because of all the lore surrounding the Jacksonville Jaguars, who would one, one game, obviously the Jets get the Patriots twice, but one game. Patriots play the Jets, Patriots play the Jaguars. Who's got a better chance of beating the New England Patriots? The the Jaguars or the Jets? As currently constituted. Yes. I, I know. I it's a weird question. It's a very weird question. Well, here's how I'm gonna answer it. How did first year quarterbacks do against Bill Belichick typically? Terrible. Terribly. Look and look at all the first year quarterbacks on the schedule. That's another thing. Yeah. And that's a great segue. Thanks for picking me up there, Karen. And and they they actually again if there if it was their defense last year you I I would still give them a chance because of Belichick smarts but trust me their front seven is so it's like night and day from last year night and day and again the front seven is where it's happening for all those weird formations and amoeba and whatever the heck they do. Trevor Lawrence's head's going to be spinning. Zach Wilson's head's going to be spinning. All these first-year quarterbacks and some second-year quarterbacks. I mean, just because Sam Darnold's in Carolina, you don't think he's still not going to see ghosts? Really? So, again, that's what I look at. So when you say front seven, are we talking like 2003, Ted Washington, Richard Seymour, Vince Wilfork, Ted Johnson, Teddy Bruschi, Roosevelt Colvin front seven? Or do you- I'm not going to put him there yet. I was going to kind of be where I went because when you said that, Mike, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. That's going to be more of an early 2000s style defense with a late 2000s, no Randy Moss, like 10-11 style offense. To what you saw in the Rams Super Bowl. Oh, okay. Defensively? Yeah, and think of the defense after surrendering whatever it did in that Atlanta Super Bowl. Playmaking, buzzing around, harassing type of defense that will give quarterbacks fits. And that will bode well, not only with Bill Belichick's record against first and second year quarterbacks, but also just the fact that he's a good defensive coach. And if he's got the players, they're going to... Well, that's the whole, and again, that's the other part that, that's really intriguing to me. I want to see what he does with the parts because, again, his genius is defense. There's no, there's little doubt about that. A lot of his game plans are in, in the Hall of Fame for what he's done to these elite offenses in Super Bowls. So the, he's assembled a much better crew than last year. And I think he's going to have a ball with assuming everybody stays healthy and assuming he gets Gilmore on board. Which is going to be a a big factor is getting Gilmore on board. But yeah, as you say it now, I'm even more excited than I was to begin this show because as as I can tell you, like you said before, you don't know like how much the the crowd might play into it in Foxborough. I can tell you as a, not only a new England revolution season ticket holder, but as a Patriots season ticket holder, I cannot wait even to walk into that stadium for the preseason game against Washington, just to get those guys back on the field and, and see them run out of the tunnel again and see it live and, and do it live. Cause I think that's something that Bill's going to play off of. And we see, we, we know that he tries to drown out the noise and, and he cancels the noise for his players. But I think it, it, having nine home games in, instead of eight in the regular season, having the crowd back and having that noise a, around Cam or Mac or whoever it is, that's going to play into this entire season. I think that's going to make it a lot more fun. And add in the fact, I think on both sides of the ball, because of 
your offensive line and the defensive front, they're going to be a really physically taxing and wearing team on other teams. So all these teams who are going to be traveling to Foxborough for those nine games are going to be in a dogfight and a trench war. And if you're not up for it, the Patriots going to roll all over you. And again, that's how this team has been built. Both lines, offensive line, defensive line. They've been built in the trenches. It's a classic Belichick team. Yeah, go back to 2000, the early 2000s. They're going to beat you on the ground and on defense primarily. That's what we love to hear. We love to hear that. And that gets me fired up. So Craig, you, we got, a, we got a lot of good sound bites there. We're going to, we're going to eat all those up. <laughs> oh, I've got my sound bite. As soon as he said the Buccaneers are going to lose week four at Gillette stadium. That was it. It's over. Well, then I- <laughs> Great. You're in trouble. Well, Carrie, thank you, thank you again for joining us uh, on missing the point. Another great conversation as Mike and I have said multiple times this show, we could go on. We actually have a whole nother list of. Uh, just quarterbacks <laughs> that we could totally go over with you, but we'll bypass those and, and hopefully see some of those come to fruition and iron themselves out as the season goes. Karen Greggy, thank you again. I'm Joe Malkin, joined again by Craig D'Alessandro and Mike Marcangelo. Thank you for joining us on Missing the Point. And, uh, well, we're going to say it because Karen's got me fired up. Go Patriots. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric acid. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.